been a while. It has. We, we got to remember yeah. how to do this. Exactly. Yeah. Now I talk into this end. Yes. Right. And I and I stroke the shaft and I and I play with the balls. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. correct. That's, that's correct. How it works. Okay. That's work, how you get work, a... work the shaft, cut the balls. Yeah. That's how you get ahead in this business. <laughs> head. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 12. Ladies and gentlemen, who exactly do you think listens to us? Ladies. <laughs> Some gentlemen. Ladies. Ladies. Well, episode, we are... Episode 12. We are back from our, our lengthy yep. hiatus. We're not allowed to talk about the... Uh, we've just come back from assignment. We're not allowed to really talk about it. Absolutely. But I'd just are like we? to point out, episode 12, 2012. Coincidence? I think not. not. Sure, we can talk all about it. In fact, why don't you start? <laughs> I mean, it's, we probably have to get legal advice, so mm. this bit doesn't make the cut. But we had that great couple of meetings with... And... About the sequel to... Which... And I can't be more excited. I, I must admit, I was, I was surprised they went with their ideas. Well, I'm not, because they're great ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, when... Comes out with... Shield... Unbelievable! It's and it's it's crazy, but you know, big props to <laughs> for having us along. For sure, for sure, for sure. Because I mean, like he's, he he takes his time off from, and then he's with the, and then we've got. It's all and it can't. Yeah, I tell you, 2014 is going to be a monster year for <laughs> films. You heard it here first. News. <laughs> I've got something to fire off. I happen to be watching. Fire off. I happen to be watching at the movies because oh, you yes. know I'm a fan. Yes, we are fans. Good friends of the show, Joe David Margaret. Stratton. <laughs> Good friend of the do <laughs> and like did just Margaret Pomeranz. The best David. Apparently, they were disagreeing. Well, not apparently, they were disagreeing over a movie. Okay. Surprise, surprise! Look, I know this is going to take the listeners by storm. Anyway, Margaret's hammering David about how dare he hate this movie, and she says to him. David, you're just unadventurous. And he says, I'm not unadventurous, Margaret. I just don't like bad films. Oh, How much do you love David Stratton? I now? do love David Stratton. Just, what, was, what was the film out of it? Their review of Wuthering Heights. The best thing ever. It was just that, is, that is good. You do love a good uh, David I do, David's I do. Because, you know, usually he's just all about virgins and, and Russian fucking movies. And, oh, and yeah, bizarre shit. And, yeah. Admittedly, he does have a, an admirable fondness. For you know, you're movies say, like Rochelle, Rochelle, yeah. <laughs> a young woman's erotic journey from Milan to Minsk. I thought you were going to say, if you put a Russian chick with big tits in a film, <laughs> that's four stars right there. I thought you were going to say he does have a prodigious collection of young girls chained in his basement. <laughs> I thought, has that come out? I actually have news, <laughs> but no, sure, no, no, go ahead. Uh, but I'm just thought I'd let you know today. I'm actually prepared. Nice. <laughs> More unnecessary. My favorite segment: unnecessary reboot news. Mm, yep. Len Wiseman, oh. good, good friend of the show. Yeah, 
I want to be a good, good friend of his wife. Yeah. He's set to reboot the Mummy franchise. Oh, what the fuck? You know, again, a franchise that didn't need to be rebooted. No, because it wasn't that good. No. Kate Beckinsale is presumably going to be there as Amon Ra. <laughs> the, the Mummy. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because no, yes, Rachel... Yeah. I mean, sure, Rachel Weiss doesn't have the arse. No, she's I love me some Rachel. Oh, because she's you know, you know she's all that in yeah. a bag of chips, and now she's now she's smashing Bond. Oh, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, that's the best of British there, my friend. Nobody does it better. Oh, Do you like what I did there? I did. That's a nice little Bond, uh, uh, Bond throwback. Bond <laughs> <laughs> to Russia with what? The Walking Dead Seed Season Three Episode One. Upon its initial broadcast of 14 October 2012, broke several records. It hit 10.9 million viewers, becoming the most watched scripted drama telecast on a basic cable network in history and becoming the most watched episode of the series to date, surpassing the previous record of Beside the Dying Fire, which was season two finale. So 33.4% increase in viewership from the season two premiere. That is huge. It's massive. Um, and yeah, basic cable, like, I wasn't aware of that. Like, I follow some basic cable news because... Yeah. As you know, I'm a big Sons of Anarchy fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are consistently winning their times of the best thing, the best rated thing FX has ever had. Again, so it's one of the highest rating basic cable shows, but it, fuck, The Walking Dead just blitzes its numbers. Was that crazy? The Sons of Anarchy, was that with the craziest Scientologist who killed his landlady? Like, yeah. That's awkward, isn't it? That is, that is. It's a shame. That is, yeah. Um, Anyway, I didn't know her. Yeah. I, I tried, I did, yeah. I gave it a go, but yeah. even with Ron Perlman. Right. I, I like the guy. Peggy Bundy. Yeah, I like them, but I just yeah. didn't, I couldn't didn't get into it. Anyhow, but not to worry. I, I was having so much trouble getting into Boardwalk Empire again. Yeah. Uh, anyway. one of the, but you're, you're sort of forcing yourself to. You, you're always, but it, sound, it sounds like you don't want to. A little and bit. And you're kind of just forcing. Well, Vampire Diaries. <laughs> anyway. But it, it, your finely tuned schedule of what you can watch. You're, you're fighting out. Oh, I don't. I don't really want to watch Vampire Diaries because I don't want people to know that I'm watching Vampire Diaries. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to put in Boardwalk Empire. So I seem like I've got club. I'm really waiting for season two of Hell. And the great, <laughs> the greatest thing about this is no one listens to this podcast, so no one's ever going to. No know. one's going to know. No one's going to know. Who's going to know? Our dozens and dozens of viewers. <laughs> A dozen of viewers. Our tens of one. <laughs> Yes. And uh, sorry I didn't call you for your birthday, Mum. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Awkward. News that you have as well? Yeah. Seth MacFarlane, set to host the Oscars. Ah, yes. Um, obviously, we do have a lot of news from the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have been a while on, yeah. on, our, on our mission. And it's um, not so much news, as in this is topical. We should talk about this. Because I called this in, in text. Yeah. Ages ago, which of course the viewers have known, but you know, I know. We, I, I mentioned that I thought the Oscars needed a decent host after Billy Crystal's fairly dismal return, which was a shame because I had high hopes. Mm. And I said, need someone like Seth MacFarlane. Of course, it'll never happen. It's happened. I mean, it's a, it's an odd, it's a brave choice. Yeah. Because let's, I mean, Ted aside, he's a TV personality, and he's and he's. Low, low brow. He is. Extraordinarily low brow. Yeah. So we can only imagine, like, if people thought Ricky Gervais was bad at the Globes. Yeah. I mean, is he going to... The only the only thing is, is how often is he going to break into his family guy voices? And as much as I love the guy and I love him, I think he's talented. Is it he is gonna, a bit of a crush. Yeah. And is he going to be... He's in front of millions of people, yeah. like him, just him, mm. to completely fuck it up. Yes. yes. Arrow, have you been checking this out? 
I've got it. I've, again, my last month has been been crazy busy, yeah, so I haven't watched it. I have it to watch, but yeah, it's not something I've had okay. an opportunity to. It's complete shit, but it's addictive shit. Yeah, you will enjoy it because yeah. it's complete shit. It's Smallville. Yeah, but is it? I, I've heard that it's very comic booky, which I think is kind of the point. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's a dude shooting arrows. Hmm. You know, trick arrows and and whatnot, but it's engaging. The leading guy is is he's about as uh, he's he's wooden. He's terrible, but the story is doing what the story is doing the best thing it could possibly do. It is drip feeding you information that makes you go, "Well, I'm now I have to now I have to see what happens next." Mm. It's been picked up for a full twenty two season. Yeah. T- excuse me, twenty two episodes. Yes, rather than its original thirteen run, which okay, is good. Well, that's encouraging. And its premiere, premiere, suddenly I'm afraid. Four point zero two million viewers with episode two bringing in three point five million. Nice. This is big. They're big numbers. Hmm. Like they're big. They're not for Walking the, Dead. No, no, no. But, but for the CW, yeah, that's, for, for for a fairly niche network. Yep, big numbers. And yeah. to, and to go from episode one to episode two with with only a small drop, hmm. big numbers. Yeah. Look, it's I've been I've watched it. I'm current. I, it's terrible, but it's kind of okay. Yeah. Like you can, you can get by. It's one of those things I put on, and I put on with the sole intention of occasionally sticking my head in, like while I'm, mm. you know, doing the dishes or something like that. And I invariably end up sitting on the couch yeah. watching it with you know a glass of wine and some chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe because it's on the CW network that they get delivered. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with your box of ten yeah. lots, because yeah. it's just awful. What does CW stand for? Is it country? Um, no, it's civil. I don't know. Fuck, I'm just making shit up. Yeah, I, Central West. I I don't know what the CW yeah. stands for. It might not stand for anything. Cunty women. I think we did decide that. Didn't we? <laughs> Cunty Clunge women. Watch. Clunge Watch. That's it. Clunge Watch. Love it. <laughs> oh, I heard it. Heard a great thing for a um, for a flavor. You know the flavor yeah. saver. Soul Patch. Clunge Sponge. <laughs> that like, yeah. That is superb. <laughs> that is lovely. Moving right along. In. Related TV news, yep. Frank Darabon's L.A. Noir, yeah, 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 which again is nothing to do with the recent Xbox game L.A. Noir, but yep. it's you know it's your your hard boiled noir forties detective yep. story has apparently been picked up for a full series. Oh, good! I'm calling it now. End of the first season. He's going to get the art, <laughs> no doubt, and someone else is going to come in. Yeah, absolutely, but because he drags his feet. He's a terrible showrunner. Yeah, I mean that's basically it. He's a fantastic person, great director, yeah, but not terrible showrunner. Yeah. yeah, but no, I'm excited for that. I think that's a an era that you know, obviously, costume drama and mm-hmm. you know, period drama is the new black. Yeah, but yeah. it's uh, an area of time that I think could do really well. well what's this new Vegas like with Michael Chiklis? Um, I've, I've only seen one episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not bad. Okay. It's not bad. I haven't given it a go yet. I'm gonna, I want to wait till it's around season three before yeah. I commit to yeah. watch this, you know. I think the what is jarring yep. is you know, I'm so used to those sorts of shows being on, on a cable network Okay. that I'm shocked by the lack of profanity and tits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's, just, it's broadcast. Network. I imagine much the same way as if you were watching um, the Playboy Club. Yeah. That you would expect there to be tits and stuff, but there isn't. No. Okay. So, but it it was it was just, again the, the pilot was solid. Okay. Quaid's quite good. Quaid's Quaid's dependable. Yeah. He's a dependable actor. Yeah. He, he seldom puts a foot wrong. Yeah. Carrie Ann Moss was surprising. Okay. She's yeah. She's. I thought she was quite. Because pretty much Trinity is that. That was a fairly two dimensional role. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. I might check it out. 
a show that we have both expressed our great adoration and love for, Homeland. Yes. Has been greenlit for a third season. Oh, superb. Yep. Based on the strength, oh, clearly, of the, the Emmy wins. Yeah. Interestingly, you like Brian Cranston, don't you? Or well, you... I do. I like Breaking Bad. Yeah, okay. And I think Cranston... The problem is, when things that aren't Breaking Bad that I see Cranston in now, he hasn't made good choices. No, but... no, no, no. Well, Total Recall. Yeah. Despite liking that movie. Douchebag gets on Howard Stern's show, on the series, mm. the internet, whatever like yeah. that, and says, oh, they only gave the Emmy to Damien Lewis because he's the new kid on the block. And, you know, and I, you know, it's basically my Emmy. But, look, Brian's won it three years in a row, so let's just give it to the new kid. Fucking douchebag. Yeah, I mean, being that it was on Howard Stern, well, was he just being shocking and provocative I, for the sake of? Or? But, see, they, the guests usually leave that for Howard. Yeah. And Howard says all those sort of things. I don't know, he just... It just, oh, it just yeah. said it just reeked, and he didn't. Yeah, that's that's know. not cool. No, it's not cool because no. Damien Lewis has got some fucking yeah. chops. Oh, he's the he's the bomb. And his acceptance speech, the first time we've ever heard his real voice. That's right. Because yeah, we, he was American in most things I've seen. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah it, he's it's weird. Extraordinary strength. It's like hearing um, Apollo from Jamie Bamber. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking squeaky nasal yeah. little buddy. Uh, anyway, moving along. All right, Fury Road apparently yes. is in trouble. Oh. Um, over budget, over time, over schedule, not doing well in Namibia, Zambia, wherever okay. the fuck in Africa it's okay. being filmed. Apparently, studio representatives have been dispatched to try and pull it back into line. Wow. I mean, it's going to be, if there is any problems with it, it's going to be a shame. I mean, it's going to be good because I'm going to enjoy. If there's a movie this year that Tom Hardy's not in, <laughs> but, but Charlize Theron, I'm uh, set on her. Yeah, and let's face um, it, after Prometheus, she needs a fucking, she needs a yeah. she needs a good film. But no, I'm I'm looking forward to Fury Road. I hope that this is just maybe a, a beat up or, or things getting taken out of context. But there's a lot riding on it. Mm. I'm still with TV before I jump into yes. to movies. An actress that I happen to think is one of the hottest women that has ever walked the planet, Ming Na. She was in uh, the the single guy. You know her as soon as you see her. She's in ER. She's China, obviously Chinese American. Mm-hmm. Um, did the voice for really ob- obviously because of the, that's. <laughs> I think that's a little insensitive. <laughs> she don't look Chinese. You're not Chinese. How do you have a name like Donna Chang if you're not? Chinese? Anyway, Ming Na. She's fucking hot. Check her out. She's going to play soulful and damaged pilot Melinda May for Joss Whedon's new TV series. Shield, shield, or S H I E L D. It's going to be—is it going to be like the man from U N C L E or whatever? Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, Agent Coulson yes. may be in the pilot episode, but not a recurring character. Mm. So it's it's pre Avengers. No, my, no more than that. She's just the yep. she's the first named yep. cast member, and she's going to play a pilot in the are pilot. The t- I, there was the two agents in, you know, the little uh, shortcuts or the, yeah, the brief yeah, yeah. things. Yep. Well, Ida 47, was that yeah. the one Yeah. Yeah, were they... Don't know. I thought they were going to be in this year, because that had... Um... Jesse Bradford. Yeah. And, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, don't well, know. All, the, all my research told me was that she's the, she's been, she's the confirmed one. Yes. M-I-N-G space N-A. Check her out. Ming-A. She, yeah. <laughs> Ming-Na. This is my, this is my oh. future wife. Oh. <laughs> I think she's stunningly beautiful. But anyway... I'm excited by that because I actually like her. You are a bit of a rice burner. I am a rice queen. (laughs) Uh, 
good friend of the show and world-class satirist Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. said to have a cameo in The Hobbit. Get fucked. I, uh, this has been... On, it's been on a number of sources. Yeah. It's been it's been widely picked up. What has? I don't know. I Can, don't know. Are you at all surprised the Hobbit's gone to three movies? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, anyway, look. Well, uh, New Zealand's economy is kind of in the toilet. Well, you know they've they, got a massive fucking golem statue now chasing the fish in um, like it's it's ginormous. Mm. This massive fucking golem head, hand coming out to grab the fish. I think it's in Wellington Airport. That would make sense because yeah. Wellington's the the home of of Weta and yeah. And Welling, is Wellington the international airport or is Auckland the international? Um, they both have. They both have. Okay, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't one hundred percent sure because yeah. you know I know that they only get like North Island gets power on the uh, on, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Yeah, 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 and every alternate Sunday. Yes. So I just wondered, but anyway. Yeah. Hello to our <laughs> g'day, cousin bro, to our New Zealand listeners. Yes. Listener. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There you go. I I'll believe it when I see it. Yes. Yeah, a bit like Tom Cruise's cameo in Young Guns. He, mm. He's like a cowboy that gets shot that no one ever sees. Yes. The, you know, anyway. Matthew Vaughan is not returning to X-Men First Class. I, I had that? this, yeah. yeah that's... Um, so apparently, Brian, you know Brian Singer has mm. been tapped? Yes. Now, I, I liked the first X-Men. Mm. I really liked X-Men 2. Yep. And I didn't hate X-Men Last Stand, which he didn't direct, as no. we know. Yep. That was Brett Ratner. But I don't care. Matthew Vaughan did a great job yeah. with the X-Men First Class, but sing- this is familiar territory for singers. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, not, it's not stretching him. No. It's, it's not something... No, not apparently, the, I, I did read that they were talking again to the rat, as, oh, yeah, as, we, yeah, yeah. as we affectionately know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're um, hoping that Vaughan will come on as a procedure producer. That, you know, rehearsals are for fags. <laughs> uh, and so he's not really welcome. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, though... Is going to come in well, and no, play yeah, Magneto. I'm pretty sure he pulled out at the last minute. As soon as, Did he? as yeah, as soon as Ratner, Ratner was not attached to the show. Yeah. Okay, so Billy Crystal's going to come in and be Magneto now. <laughs> maybe, maybe, and Seth MacFarlane will save the day. Yes. I have just one last bit of news, and so do I. Oh, it's obliquely movie news, but we are an all-encompassing entertainment podcast. And arts and entertainment. Arts and entertainment. I think we like to educate and, and entertain. entertain. Educate and inform. <laughs> okay. Oh, Educate <laughs> and entertain. Yes. Al Pacino, star of many films. Oh. oh. Come on now. <laughs> Al Pacino. <laughs> Got a great ass. <laughs> Famously, in one of his, his best performances in Glen Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is taken to the Broadway, well, has taken, I believe it opened last weekend. Has taken to the Broadway stage in a pro- in a production of Glengarry Glenn. Oh, fucking amazing! Not playing the same character that no, he played. He's no. now playing the old character that I believe was played by Jack Lemmon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, oh, what's in his Glenn name? Gary Glenn Ross. Oh crap! That'll come yeah. later. This would be fucking something oh, to see. Could you imagine? Well, somewhat like seeing Richard the Third with Kevin Spacey, directed by Sam Mendes. You know, I fuck your wife while you're at work. <laughs> But she didn't, she, fuck the, she, she didn't fuck at the day I took her to see Richard III with uh, Kevin Spacey. Uh, anyway. I found out about this through, through Twitter. I don't follow Pacino. I don't, I think Pacino's probably on the, the Twitter. Probably not properly. He probably has got some yeah. assistant. Yeah. Richard Schiff, Toby Ziegler yeah. from the West Wing, is, I believe, playing the Pacino role. Great friend of the show. Great friend Richard of the show. show. Mm. But the, the reason I bring this up, as well as it just being cool... Yeah, you don't need a reason. No. But, is apparently going to potentially be the highest 
paid Broadway performance of all time. Oh. He is getting, I believe, and I, I don't have the math written down, I'm just going from memory of what I've heard, mm-hmm. $125,000 a week. Jesus. Plus a cut. Jesus. People are going to see it. David Mamet. That's one of oh. the best fucking plays. Mm. I mean, it's it kills, pardon the pun, Death of a Salesman. Like, it just oh, it, destroys... It, it, is, it is a magical... Yeah. It, it is very special. People people would see it for it. Yeah. People will doubly go and see it because it's Pacino. Pacino's in it. And, yeah, he will make billions. Yeah. This will be like Jack Nicholson in, um, in Batman. This is yeah. going to be a monster back end on this thing. Yeah. That's awesome. I'd, I'd, what I would dearly love is again not to and not to be a cunt but Spacey took it on tour yeah. took, it, oh. took it around if, if it if it comes there is if it comes to Australia there yeah. is no way I'm not seeing yeah, it yeah absolutely I will travel to fucking you know Broome yeah to see well, it if that's where fortunately the Nakatomi Ballroom is 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 like sort of a, a travel hub like we are close enough to the two major metropolitan centres you, you know what we could have it at the Nakatomi Ballroom boom that's why you're the ideas man. That's right. Yep, absolutely. That, there it is. Absolutely. We could, or we could go and see it live, live podcast from the, the show. Don't think they'd let us take the rig. Yeah, we'll work it out. Okay. We'll work it out. We'll, like, little, we'll do a little British Radio mic, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Little throat mic. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. My last bit of news. Yes. Though I did have a couple of really good puns this week that I didn't put out oh, on them. On if, the, if there's uh, puns, you have to do puns. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, as we all know, his book, Total Recall. Yes. And the, specific, the, the specially titled Chapter 12, It's Not a Tumour, It's an Illegitimate Child. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger looks to be returning to the Conan role in a move that I will ignore. You today. read this, yeah? Ignore the woeful reboot. It'll ignore the, the reboot and Conan the Destroyer, which was terrible as well. I mean, it's a Conan movie. Look, yeah. Conan the Barbarian is not a good movie. I think I've no. discussed this in the podcast but it's, before. But it's a classic. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. For, for all of its... You know. And uh, so clearly Arnold wants to hear the limitation of the women again, as if you know, mar- being married to that shrew fucking tribe didn't do enough. Producer Kennedy, my friend. Step on. <laughs> Let it go, man. The Kennedys are gone, man. Producer Frederick Malm- Malmberg, or Friedrich Malmberg, is quoted as saying, and I like this, so I'm going to read the entire quote, I've referenced him, so it's fine. The original ended with Arnold on the throne as a seasoned warrior, and this is the take on the film that we will make. It's that Nordic Viking mythic guy who has played the role of king, warrior, soldier, and mercenary, and who has bedded more women than anyone nearing the last cycle of his life. He knows he'll be going to Valhalla, and he wants to go out with a good battle. This movie picks up Conan where Arnold is now in his life, and we will be able to use the fact that he has aged in this story. Think of this, and this is the hook. Think of this as Conan's Unforgiven. Uh, see, I, I never read that quote. Yeah. So when I read this, I read this news today, and I forgot to write it down. Yeah. I thought, what the actual fuck? Yeah. You're fucking kidding me. Yeah. You fucking fuck. Fuck you, Michael Bay. Right until you heard. Right until I heard, this is going to be an old dude. Yeah. Dealing with old dude things. Yeah. Wanting to go out in in bomb. So it's Arnold. Yeah. This is how fucking meta. It's going to be Conan's Unforgiven. That, you know what? Yeah. That is. That's if, why it's if, not going to suck. If that ha- if that fulfills half the fucking promise of that paragraph, this will be a great. Oh one. yeah, absolutely. It's got the potential. It's really got the potential. Yeah. 
So let's hope they do a good job of it. Yeah. Of course, being Conan's Unforgiven, it's going to be the longest, slowest fucking movie that's ever been made. But they might drop the word cunny in it, which is good. Yeah. I'm a big fan of cunny. Yeah. And you know, I'm just taking that snip out of context. <laughs> I'm a big fan of cunny. <laughs> Oh, let me drop a little bit of soda in my voice. Honestly, I'm a big fan of Kanye. Oh, Review? Okay, yep, reviews. Did you want to we'll kick it off? Up? Yes, absolutely. Because Looper is sort of the older. It is the older, and, and, and just a quick apology to my listeners. My listeners? <laughs> How crass. No, no, they do, they do split down party lines. <laughs> we, uh, we got the red states and was, the blue states. It was caught a little unprepared with the Expendables 2 review. It was cut well by Nathan to, uh, to, to get it through, but yeah, I, I hope I've made up for it this time. So Looper, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, R-I-A-N, or Rian Johnson, I don't give a fuck, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt, Jeff Daniels, and Noah Segan, or Sagan. In a post-apocalyptic 2029, artificially intelligent machines seek to exterminate what is left of the human race. Two beings from this era travel back to 1984 Los Angeles. One is a Terminator programmed to kill Sarek. Sorry, I got a little confused there. <laughs> In a post-economic collapse 2044, we learn Joe Simmons, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who will be here the two known as JGL, good friend of the show, is a looper, a specialised assassin who, and truth be told, doesn't have the hardest job, kills targets that are sent back from 30 years in the future. We learn that in the future time travel is possible, but outlawed, yet somehow the criminal elements have access to it. Apparently, it's extraordinarily difficult to hide bodies in the future, so the baddies send them back to the past where other baddies shoot them for pieces of silver. I'm going to let that imagery sit for a second. And then they bury the bodies. Simmons is planning for the day where he will close his loop. This is where the assassin's future self is sent back in time to be eliminated. Oddly, I thought, by their younger selves. We learn that it's terribly bad, like crossing the streams bad, if you let your target escape, let alone your future self. We learn this through the hapless Seth, Paul Dano, who I think this is the first role I've seen him in since There Will Be Blood, who lets his future self escape and seeks Joe's help to hide him. This is an obvious choice. Joe's boss, Abe, Jeff Daniels, sends for Joe and ultimately convinces Joe to give up Seth in order to keep the money he saved. Here we have the first of many dark moments in the film where the younger Seth is physically maimed in order to ensure the future self returns to a point to be executed and we also learn that Joe is a bit of a shit. Cue Joe's turn to close the loop, which of course fails, and his future self, Willis, escapes with a fairly dark agenda to prevent some sinister future Kaiser Soze from becoming Kaiser Soze. This agenda brings younger Joe to Sarah, Emily Blunt, and her son Sid, who's a phenomenally good child actor, who's unfortunately I didn't write his name down, with some fairly disastrous results. 
There are some pretty big faults with this film. Firstly, the wonderful JGL is prosthetically enhanced to look like a younger version of Bruce Willis. And for me, that was very distracting. I was, I, to me, I was watching somebody do a very bad or very ordinary Bruce Willis impression. That's not to say that he didn't nail Bruce Willis's mannerisms and whatnot. I saw a few moonlighting sort of style moments, but I, it just kept distracting from me. Another thing that bothered me was the whole TK telekinesis bit. I felt that was a bit sort of Deus X. And the silver gold bit got me as well. I mean, where did it come from, silver, in, in, and in such quantities? And if was it, I wondered, couldn't help but wonder, was it saved and reused in the future, whether they were constantly sending the silver back? And if so, where was the money coming from? Pacing for me was a bit of a problem. Uh, some of the establishing moments with Emily Blunt's character were too drawn out and the relationship needed to be a quicker transition. The total implausibility of Bruce's one-man army rampage uh, rankled and was rankled me and was to me completely out of place. It just didn't it just didn't make sense. And I wondered at, in the in the final denouement, the a bit of a spoiler, I wondered kind of why oh, fuck it, people should have seen it by now. I kind of wonder why Joseph Gordon-Levitt didn't shoot Bruce Willis himself. I understand that the blunderbuss, it was made patently clear throughout the whole thing that it didn't have the range. It just seemed very, very silly, sort of that bullshit self-sacrifice. He could have killed Willis right there and, and ended it and closed the loop and, you know, at least then, you know, maybe. And he could have possibly, alter, I don't know, altered his future. And then, of course, what also didn't make sense was that Bruce Willis should have known where Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the entire time because he should have been able to remember because as events were transpiring, he should have been able to remember. And this is the inherent problems with time travel movies and they're present here and even the glib line of attempting to explain it all away by Willis and the cafe with the don't talk about this stuff, we'll end up with diagrams on napkins. Um, I thought, how about no? How about a few diagrams on napkins? Because you, to me, you're fucking with time travel and I don't like it. And this is where I sound a little bit like Grandpa Simpson. But I don't know if it was the cinema I was in, but I felt the sound mix was just awful. I thought it was too loud. The gunshots, the the quick changes, the door slamming, if, if, wherever, if, if it was in the cinema, fair enough. But it was too loud and it was extraordinarily jarring. I wasn't overly enamoured with this film, to be perfectly honest, and I'm giving it one and a half stars. This was a very anticipated film. Oh, absolutely. Film. This, uh, this film had a lot of expectation writing on it. Based largely on JGL yep. and, and the whole, the, the high concept of the film. And you, you're right, time travel movies are, are tough. I'm trying to think of what the film was. Someone else's review mentioned another time travel movie that was, was very well done. Little thing that apparently no one's ever seen. Primer. Primer. Yeah. That's it. And he, the director, the creator of Primer, apparently yep. had some input into some of the time travel stuff yep. on this. Primer is a movie I am yet to see. Uh, Primer is an extraordinarily good movie. Yes. Um, I have it. You can, yeah. you can still run yeah. it. So that's, extraordinarily good movie. So time travel movies can be done well. I yep. mean, even something like 12 Monkeys. Yeah, an interesting concept. Is a, from a time travel movie is, is good. I liked the basic premise. Mm -hmm. And I think in that, in that instance, it was... It was it was successful, but it was kind of two movies, and I think that comes into the pacing problems yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah, that's a good call. Then. There was the time travelly loopery 
stuff. Mm. And the split, you know, I like the split where he shoots him, doesn't shoot him, and they go through the same thing. So you can see the convergent yep. timeline. That was smart. That I was quite it, well done. I call it the sliding doors moment. Like, Exa- well, it's exactly that. Yep. It's the sliding doors moment, that's right. But that that moment where you can see that... And Willis's, like, the 30 years up until the up until the loop, that was actually quite... I, I liked seeing that. Yep. But it, it slowed down and it stopped being a time travel movie just became a fairly by the numbers Mm. action film that didn't have that much action in it i thought there were some remarkably smart parts to it i thought you mentioned it with uh with future seth yeah just missing fucking that was just dark was that that was oh that was brilliant yeah i mean fucking brilliant but just so he's he's trying to break the car and he looks down suddenly his fucking foot's missing because it's been and then there was that scene where the fingers kept missing yeah and and he opens up the door where um the gat man takes me which is a fucking awful name and then you see in the background you see him all on the operating table with the dot it was dark that was really really dark yeah i mean superbly done yeah 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 something like that that could have kept if they kept that even not that darkness but that intensity mm. that would have been a because we only different and I, I touched on it we only saw that darkness with Bruce mm. Willis's agenda yeah we saw that that first instance where we yeah. were yeah oh, so wait is, is he really... actually can I go and, and do that and if yeah so. yeah so that was there were things that I think could have been expanded on a little more the the stripper with the kid yep. that then Bruce then goes and yeah and sees the fact that we he doesn't end up doing anything because he has the flashback but yeah the it was like it didn't quite come together, mm. like it, like the director had originally envisioned it, because once he's once JGL's at the farm, it's kind of a bit of a slow, Ugh. plodding, you know, I don't really care, yeah. movie, and and it just lacked any any reasoning. The TK stuff and the Rainmaker, you're right. That kid is phenomenal. Oh, very that clever. That kid very is good, just yeah. really, really, yeah. really, really smart. Should have written his name down, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, no, that was. Uh, I thought there was quite a, a few good things I liked the fact that it's a, a future world mm. but it's like an organically grown future yeah. world like there's enough old stuff that's kind of been bolted on a little bit ramshackle a little bit not awesome like not a super yeah. shiny future yeah so I thought Jeff Daniels was really good yeah. I thought he was a lot of fun every time yeah. every time he was on screen but yeah it's it's a movie that didn't quite live up to its promise mm. um, of, of which there was a lot yeah and not a film that yeah you can really say that many great things about. JGL was kind of wasted. The yeah the Bruce Willis the, it's just the it was just it was just a strange just took you out of the out it of the did cinema. constantly. I didn't have any of the sound issues okay. that you had. It might have just been a cinema thing. Oh, was that when he every time they shot somebody, you know how because they suddenly mm. appear bang. Yeah, that was that was almost cover your ears so loud and unnecessarily so. So, yeah. so what are you giving it? I'm giving it two. Okay, I'm giving it two stars. We now move on to Debbie Does Dallas 12. Yes. I review in a slightly newer movie. Looper, yeah, we, we saw a while ago, yeah. but then we're uh, otherwise occupied. <laughs> Dread, or as its official title, Dread 3D. Uh, I didn't see this in 3D. My oh. ske- um, this, the schedule that I had to see it on, there wasn't a 3D session available. I didn't know there was a 2D session. Yeah. So there you go. I was... Oh, good, good. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Good. I'd be interested to hear what you're going to say. Directed by Pete Travis, starring Carl Urban, Olivia Thurlby, and Lena Headley. Lena Headley. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, 
In a world living in the dust of a nuclear war, Mega City One is a sprawling mega metropolis that takes up most of the east coast of the United States and is home to over 800 million people. Crime is rampant and widespread, and justice is meted out swiftly and brutally by the judges, the absolute power within the Mega City, who have the authority to both charge, sentence, and cast judgment on offenders. There are two penalties for any crime, either incarceration in an isotube or death. A swift, brutal death. Isocube. What did I say? Tube. I've written cube. Have you? Isocube. <laughs> okay. It's into this world that we are introduced to Judge Dredd, Carl Urban, as he chases down a car full of dope fiends, hooked on the newest drug to hit the streets, slow-mo, which, as the name suggests, give the impression of time crawling to a halt. After dispensing justice to the miscreants, death, Dredd heads back to the halls of justice, the towering spire that is the centre of the justice system. He is instructed by the chief judge to spend the day evaluating rookie Judge Anderson, Thurlby, a less-than-ideal candidate, but with powerful psychic abilities that the Justice Department is interested in. The two judges head down to Peachtrees, a 200-storey ghetto apartment block, to investigate three gangland deaths and find themselves trapped, outgunned and vastly outnumbered as gang leader Mama, Lena Henley, decrees her own sentence of death on the two judges that have stumbled into her kingdom. I've never read a Dread comic book. Um, they've always been on my list to read, but I don't really have any investment in the character the 1995 Stallone film really did nothing to change that but it, it is a one of those franchises that I think has deserved a good a good story I think the idea of the judges is a fascinating one and I love the concept and I think I think the world does need something like that it's to me, it feels very similar to, say, Slay Industries, mm -hmm. um, if you're an RPG game, which obviously you are. I'm assuming most of our audience is, because you know, if not, I don't care. But it's that sort of totalitarian mega world that I think can be really, really well done. The casting of Carl Urban as Dread has a lot of similarities to the casting of Tom Hardy as Bane. There's really no need... For it to be Carl Urban. The, the casting call could have been Strong Chin for Analog. It doesn't need to be anything. The actor playing Dread doesn't really bring any of himself to the role. There's. I mean, Urban does a solid job, but the character in this film is so very, very one dimensional in what he does that there's no real room for growth. So it didn't need to be anyone with a name. It could have just been a guy. There was no real reason for it to be Carl Urban. He does a very good job, but he has a limited limited scope to work with. Olivia Thirlby. I just keep wanting to say Thrillby. Because she was hot. She was. <clears throat> she was very I thought she was quite quite decent as Anderson. But again, the script didn't give her a lot to work with. She was still fairly one track in what she was doing the whole movie feels like it's struggling with origin story syndrome which is which is unfortunate because it's not an origin story we come to it to this fully realised we don't need to know the history of the judges the, the, the opening scene which is quite a good action scene 
tells us everything we need to know. We don't need long histories. We don't need we don't need an origin story, but it feels like it's going through those motions of setting things up for a for a particular franchise. We know what we need to know, but I just think the script is is just flawed. I think it's a, a too simple a script. It doesn't give us anything to care about. The actually the only person that I actually dug and thought was well scripted was Mama. And that could have just been because Lena Headley gave a fantastic performance as as, as as the character, I think she did really, really well. For my taste, I think the slow-mo effect is overused, particularly in the first in the first act. We see it once to get the idea of it, but then we see it a number of other times. And it almost feels like they're doing it to pad the movie. Like about halfway through, I feel like, is it like it's just a 20-minute movie that's just, you have the slow-mo effect put on it to, to stretch it out? It is, it does work well, though, in the shootout scene, but that was a scene that we'd seen before. It was it was available online and it was it's quite a, quite an impressive scene with it where the, the judge goes in and just shoots everyone and it's all in wonderful gory over the top slow mo. I imagine that scene would have been fairly fucking impressive in three D. The other thing that this movie does do well is giving a sense of the world. I think if this movie does well enough that there will be other dread movies. I'm hoping there are because even though I wasn't in love with this film, it's given me enough of a taste of this world to want to go back. I do have to address the elephant in the room, which is... My cock. Your cock. <clears throat> which is the apparent similarities to The Raid, mm-hmm. the uh, the phenomenal Indonesian film of earlier this year. We talked about this in another podcast as well. Movies start life years before they come out. There was no way of knowing. I think it's an unfortunate similarity. While there are some superficial plot similarities, i.e. a big tower and you know wanting to kill a bad guy, it doesn't have anywhere near the action of the raid. I mean, no film, I think, no. can. It's just so frenetically over-the-top awesome that it just it can't be. But that's, I think, part of the problem as well with this film. It doesn't have enough of anything. It doesn't have enough strong plot or strong character development to make us care about the characters. But it also doesn't have enough action to keep us bolted to our seat. It's kind of not enough of anything to really perform as anything. I'm happy to have seen it. It's not a terrible film. But it's yeah, it's not something that I can I can really recommend. I will be interested to see what they do next with it. I hope it does well enough to to merit sequels because just a bit of brief research. I think the the two thousand AD the Judge Dread universe has a hell of a lot of potential to it. I just don't think this met it. One and a half. Well, folks, you heard it first. Uh, this is the last podcast of uh, <laughs> a couple of pricks because uh, I pretty much disagree with everything you had to say there. With the exception of, and I'll start with that first, The Raid. I think both the producer and, and director of The Raid has, has saw a rough cut of the, and saw the trailer, saw a rough cut, tweeted and said, thought it was fantastic, and fuck off with all these constant similarities. They were made at the same time, leave it alone. And I agreed with that. For me, the comparisons to The Raid melted away pretty quickly. And actually, I think this film uh, reminded me more of John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 more than it did the raid. But anyway, I'll move right along. I, yeah, pretty much disagree with everything you've got to say. I think the Stallone film, I'll go back to that one. No, I can't remember. Did I do a Justify on that or did I talk about doing a Justify? I think you talked about it. I don't think you, oh, I don't okay. think you did. I think I went back oh. and rewatched it. I don't know. I think you mentioned that you watched it and it was really fucking ordinary. Yeah, the pro- and the problem is with that comic relief. But I think visually, and this, is the, this was something that stuck with me about Judge Dredd, um, which is mm. the Stallone film. Visually, it was excellent. 
and, and I am a little bit of a fan of the eight, 2000 AD. I've read quite a few of the comics. I'm not a diehard fan because I could not give a shit that they took his helmet off. I just didn't give a fuck. Um, they made such a big deal of it with this movie that he was never taking his helmet off. Um, and I'll get to, to that point shortly. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it before that when Robo Robocop came out first and the producer, I think it was Danny Cannon, who was the director of Judge Dredd, they went and saw Robocop and came out and said, fuck, that's Judge Dredd. That was the Judge Dredd we wanted to do. And the reason they made the mistake, I think, is because then they went into the parody. Now, 2000 AD, the Judge Dredd scenario is, is satire. It's complete satire. The whole thing, you know, three months in an ISO cube for chewing gum. You know, it's ridiculous that this, and the judge, jury, and the executioner concept. I thought this film was really, really cool, to be honest. I thought Lena Headley or, uh, was just brilliant. Just brilliant. I thought Olivia Thrillby was excellent, and I actually thought Carl Urban was the right side of parody, and I bought him. I really bought him. And I, I disagree, I think, with your point that it could just be anybody, because I, I think it needs. There is a reason that actors. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but there is a reason that actors can do what they do is because they can fucking act we saw it with actor valor mm. we saw that even when they're trying to play strong silent types in the background it's unconvincing you're looking at it going that's not and and that may very well be exactly how a real person stands and walks and, and talks but, but that's not so what you want to see on a screen no we're used to, and i thought he brought it i thought he brought the right amount of of gravitas and he had to do it i think without anyone seeing his eyes and that's Look, I, I, we're, in, we're the complete opposite with Bane. He had to do it all with his eyes because you couldn't see his mouth. So I, I kind of disagree with that point. I think the effects in the movie were astonishingly good and it, and it bears, because I mentioned it previously, I thought the sound mix for this was phenomenally good. The Lawgiver and the Lawmaster having a significant thump. For those who don't know, the Lawgiver is the pistol and the Lawmaster is the bike. And it had a significant thump that when I buy this bad boy on Blu-ray, my neighbours are going to think that they're going to be, you know, my sub is going to go, you know, ape shit. I'm, like I said, I'm reasonably invested in the Dread character. I like the comics and I think I justified, oh, I think I said here, I justified Dread or at least spoke about it. And the problems with the first screen is, as I said, it, it went on the, the side of parody rather than the side of satire, which is omnipresent throughout the entire comic series. And I thought here was, it's in this movie, Dread, I thought was the only point where it was let down because it was just grim, dirty, horrible, nasty place, uh, which Mega City One is, but the, it's the over-the-top satire of the judges. And we saw a little bit of it where he pointed to the homeless person and said, don't be here when we get back. And then he goes, right, you, you were warned. Three months in an ISO cube. Oh, he's killed. Oh, well, fucking who cares? Johannesburg stood in for Mega City 1 and the blocks looked great and those sweeping landscapes. Again, visually, I think the first movie got it right and I think this movie didn't. And it's, but it's a little quibble um, and I'm not overly worried about it. I thought the 3D was really, really good and after a while it just becomes part of the movie. But I'm, I don't think it needed to be 3D after all. And by part of the movie, I mean, you, you, I eventually got used to wearing the glasses. I eventually got used... But yeah, that shootout when the blood's coming over the screen and whatnot... And when we're introduced to Mama, when she throws her hand through the bathtub and whatnot, that was just, wow, like, you know, potentially a naked Lena Headley was coming yeah. through the fucking screen at you. Like I said, I like this film. I think it was a good film, and I will definitely be buying it. I think there's more than enough here for a sequel or a trilogy. However, the problem is, is if they throw heaps of money at it, especially when they've made it on this indie budget, they could possibly fuck this film up for what it is, and I'm giving it three and a half stars. And fuck you. <laughs> Well, it's 
considering what's coming next, it is disagreement day. Well, music. folks, this is something that we've been looking forward to for a uh, for a long time. It's it's gone through a couple of names. The uh, No Pants Bat Dance <laughs> has been a particular favourite. Yeah, but I think we've settled mostly because I said it and I haven't been I haven't had an objection to the bat off. The great bat off. The great bat off. A couple of pricks bat off. <laughs> so what this is for people coming uh, for coming late to the show? Fuck you. Fuck you, there's 11 episodes of fucking gold out there. Yeah. But please listen and subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> and rate us. <laughs> well. Well. The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. We, we two have diverging opinions on these films. Mr. Uh, Mr. Wood is of the opinion that The Dark Knight is overrated and much prefers The Dark Knight Rises. He is, of course, clearly deluded <laughs> and wrong. <laughs> The Dark Knight is <clears throat> by far the superior film, and The Dark Knight Rises is a blobby, messy letdown. <laughs> you feel about The Dark Knight Rises like I feel about Prometheus. I've decided, yeah. but anyway, it's... I'm rolling up my sleeves, folks. <laughs> I got to admit, Nate's kind of looking at me, going, "What the fuck is this?" Apparently, cunt? We're, I feel like we're about to punch on. <laughs> what the fuck is this guy doing? So we should discuss the the format, basically. Um, we are both each going to take turns at uh, why we think that... Well, 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 I'm going to lead off with the why I think the Dark Knight is overrated. We've got the response. Yes. And we have yours, why you think Dark Knight Rises sucks. Big steamy heat bottles of balls. Yes. And I have my response. Yes. And then, of course, we'll have the rebuttal. The the, the objections, the yes. ejaculations throughout where we, uh, we will uh, ejaculate forcefully. Yes. Um, and call the other people cunts. Now, mate and I, mates... We are. We uh, we enjoy a good, uh, good, uh, hearty, 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 healthy discussion, robust discussion, robust discussion. and that's um, one of the reasons we started doing this this podcast is because yep. we we get on well, we have similar opinions, mm-hmm. but we are far at our best when we're disagreeing <laughs> with each other. So uh, it could get the shit's about to get real. It is. Nakatomi right. ballroom. <clears throat> shit's about to get hectic. Starting with the Dark Knight. Well, me, with the Dark Knight. Before I begin, I would like to simply posit this. It is an absolutely undeniable fact that we will never know what the effect of Heath Ledger's death had played in making this movie bigger than it ordinarily would. And as much as I really want to make the point and and that, my honour, your honour, that's that's my case, I won't, I can't. So, but I I just think it's it's worth noting that I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) Number one, though, I, I just you know what I just sort of put it out there. This movie is too dark, and I'm gonna I'm gonna qualify that. Ledger does the least comical take on this character yet. The Batman, whilst dark, broody, and menacing, is always completely offset by the Joker character, but not here. It's very clear that Nolan is drawing on the Killing Joke in that book. The Joker has a backstory, whereas Nolan's Joker is simply a mad psychopath. Quote: Some men just want to see the world burn. 
rather than, oh, if I'm going to have a past, I'd prefer it to be multiple choice. Alan Moore, in the, the Killing Joke, straight out says Batman and Joker are mirror images. Both are ripped apart by personal tragedy. If any part of Moore's backstory is to be believed, Batman searches for meaning, Joker loses his mind. But they are, they are the yin and the yang. They are the, the well, as I like to put it, um, Batman is Freud's super ego and Joker is the id. But without the journey to get there. And that's, that's what we weren't denied in Tim Burton's outing, and that's something that we were denied here. The, the, the movie, The Joker, is too dark. This is the comic book movie, and that was forgotten. The second issue I had with this film, and the reason I think that The Dark Knight is overrated, is the story and the dialogue. Firstly, the story, to me, was basically a heat knockoff, especially that first 30-odd minutes, without the subtlety of Michael Mann's masterpiece. Nolan acknowledges that heat influenced him, and I posit that this influence was the same type of influence that Tarantino uses for his films. The dialogue is clunky, and this is never more apparent than in the opening sequence, which to me sounds like a bad gangster film. I've said this before, but to me, all I could hear was, they call him the Joker, see? He's crazy, see? These are his goons, see? And the unrealistic, by-the-numbers relationship, inverted commas, air quotes, that I deserve to be punched in the throat for using, with doors and dent, could these two people look less interested in one another? There was no emotional connection there. Uh, is my little note. Uh. The themes. This is the biggest reason that I think The Dark Knight is overrated. The themes. In the first film, we have Batman having to make a choice. Kill one man to save a city or doom them all. The problem is he didn't have to make that choice, and nor would he. I think this is a fundamental failure to understand the character of Batman and Nolan failed here. The same in this particular movie. We've got this ridiculous scenario with the fairies. This, an extraordinarily complex plan from someone who tells us all the way through the film that he doesn't like to plan. We have Batman taking out police, rescuing the Joker, but happily throws Harvey Dent off a a building and kills him. We've got, sorry, spoiler alert. And as I was reminded while I was re-watching this film recently, Batman leaves a room full of innocent people to the hands of a complete madman while he throws himself out the window to save Rachel. My problem there is not that he did it, but the gaping hole left in the story. The Joker's still up there. What was the resolution of that moment? Did the jo- He had Gotham City's most rich and powerful and influential people in the palm of his hand. Something that permeates the Nolan verse is this need to tie into current themes. In The Dark Knight Rises, we have the Occupy movement, and here we have the Patriot Act, beautifully illustrated in the Batman kidnapping a foreign national and bringing him back to US soil, and of course the wonderful sonar that Lucius Fox nearly retires over. Just dropping back to the fairy scenario, I'd just like to point out there was zero tension here. We all knew beyond doubt that a boatload of passengers would not explode on the screen. There was no tension whatsoever. And I'm maybe I sound like a fucking preachy wanker, but I don't care. It's never stopped me before. To be preached at in such an insulting way by having the biggest, meanest black prisoner be the moral compass of this film? I've got nothing against black people. I, I think, you know, everybody should own one. But the problem here is that we were preached at. Finally, and this is where I'm going to get... Oh, this is, I've anticipated a caning in this particular section... <laughs> The length <laughs> and the misuse of villains. This, should, this film should have been shorted by about an hour, with Dent being set up as the villain for the piece in the third movie. 
Instead, we have a proper, proper origin story and then boom, dead. Chucked off a building, which Batman would never do. Also, the Dent character. It was a tenuous link for Dent to come after Gordon's family like that. It just didn't gel. This movie, to me, had more endings than The Return of the King. I am not saying that The Dark Knight is a bad movie. It's not. It definitely has its moments, and some of the acting, Gyllenhaal aside, is just brilliant, if criminally underused. I refer to Morgan Freeman. I refer to Michael Caine. I refer, in part, to Gary Oldman. I think the fact that everybody thinks that this movie is a triumph or a masterpiece, I think is actually due to a triumph and masterpiece of marketing. This movie is simply a competent film, as it should be, made by competent people, but since when does good pass for brilliance? That just happened. Come with it. No film can ever be considered perfect. There is always something, even in the greatest film, that prevents that heady title. The Dark Knight is no different in this regard. It is not a perfect film. But by sweet, horny Jesus, it's close. We open in the bright Gotham sun. Daylight, a surprising beginning for a Batman film. And we are treated to one of the greatest heists ever committed to celluloid. Inglorious IMAX, no less. This opening stanza echoes the great Michael Mann film Heat (laughs) in its daring and audacious execution. (laughs) Because we've already seen it. Five men start off, one by one, being killed off until the one remaining thief is stunningly revealed to be the Joker. But more on him later. This opening tells us that we are in for a different sort of ride than anyone could have imagined. Batman Begins was an excellent film in and of itself, a lesson in how to successfully tell an origin story of a beloved character. But by the time the school buses are pulling out into the street, we know that this is different. We know that this film is going to be something special. But it is, at its core, a Batman film. And as such, there are expectations and a demand for the Cape Crusader to live up to his name and to be a beacon, a vigilante, a martyr. And in this, he finds the perfect companion, the other side to his coin, in District Attorney Harvey Dent. Dent is everything that Batman wishes he could be, public, open, daring. But it is Dent's relationship with Rachel Dawes and Bruce's conflict with it that provides this film with its emotional core. The abduction of Lau, the Chinese mob accountant from Hong Kong, is a very solid, if potentially overlong, set piece. Nolan, again using the the fullness of the IMAX frame to show off the Hong Kong skyline beautifully. This sequence, while impressive again in and of itself, sets the scenes for the film's other emotional pivot point, the resignation and conflict with Lucius Fox. Any great superhero film, though, needs a villain, and there is simply no greater villain than the Joker in any comic. He is what people think of when people think of Batman, and they think that for a reason. I'm not going to talk about the performance of Heath Ledger. I believe that it is impossible to look at this performance objectively as much as we would like to. However, Ledger's Joker is far more than the cartoony Joker that we've seen in other Batman outings. The Machiavellian plots, the chaos and the anarchy that he brings threaten to bring Batman and Gotham to their knees. And it's this very plotting that gives its film its devastating emotional impact. The Joker's abduction of Dent and Dawes, and Batman's desperate attempt to save the woman that he can't let himself love, just to have it all taken away from him when he realises that he's been played, delivers a gut punch that very few films, and no comic book film that's gone before it, manages to pull off. My last point is one of action. The masterful prison transfer truck chase 
like the heist before it, this is Nolan's masterpiece. It also gives us something that we haven't seen before in a Batman movie, and the co- that the comics constantly provide well, the Batman Gambit. The setup, the planning, that gives you that wonderful payoff at the capture of the Joker, not to mention the incredible actual flipping of a semi-trailer, keep you on the edge of your seat until you can finally breathe again. There are so many great moments in this film. The disappearing pencil, the truck chase, the heist, Lucius Fox, the Lamborghini chase and protection of Mr. Reese, the explosion of the hospital, the standoff on the boats. It's got the Empire Strikes Back downer ending. This movie delivers time and time again. It is truly the greatest comic book film of all time. It redefined the genre in the same way that Battlestar Galactica redefined science fiction. Every superhero film that has come after it has had to play by different rules. There is a reason this film is spoken of with the same hallowed, reverent terms as The Godfather, Citizen Kane and Shawshank Redemption. It is because as much as any other film strives to be, it is breathlessly close to perfect. Thank you. Shawshank fucking Redemption? Holy shit. You could not seriously be putting this movie in the same category as Shawshank Redemption. You could not be sitting there. You're sitting there and doing it. I can see you doing it. I can't believe you're doing that. I, I am here in all my sitting. <laughs> a few points, if I may. We've already seen the opening sequence. We've seen it in, in, in movies time and time again. We've already seen that movement. They, they taught us nothing different. And Gotham City should never be seen in the daylight. It should always be dark. Batman lives in the shadows. We've got Gotham City broad daylight. We've got Gordon standing in a bank vault. Turns around, suddenly Batman's there. How the fuck... Are we to believe that Batman in broad daylight, dressed like a fucking bat, got past all those people and was allowed into the bank vault? It was moments like that that ripped you out of this movie and told you that, you know, bullshit. Two-Face, you mentioned there that Harvey Dent was the, the, the flip of the coin for um, Batman. And you're right, in this movie he was set up to be that way. But he, he was the white knight to the dark knight. It's even mentioned, I think, the Russian ballerina, the fairly tidy Russian ballerina. But to Harvey Dent Two-Face is never a counterpoint to Batman. Harvey Dent Two-Face is the embodiment of anarchy because to him, flip of a coin. But that's because in everything else, you've never had Harvey Dent as Harvey Dent. To every, begin with. Yeah, every, yeah, other, yeah, yeah, every, yeah. every other time you've seen Harvey Dent, he's already Two-Face. And, and this was well. the problem with the Burton films. So Harvey Dent is the counterpoint. He's the counterpoint in this film, but he shouldn't yes. be. He shouldn't be. Joker is his counter. Joker is the counterpoint. Look, I agree, and I, I even said that with that in, in my little blurb. Dent was set up. Dent was set up to be the best villain that the Dark Knight Rises could have had. The only thing, in my opinion, that could have made the Dark Knight Rises better than it was was to have Dent set that up, to roll in. When we looked over the top after he rescued Gordon... If we had not seen Batman and we had not seen Dent, Batman could still have taken the rap. He could have said, yeah, nah, blame everything that's happened to Dent onto me because we don't want the world to find out that Harvey Dent has become Two-Face. Two-Face fucking... And unfortunately, the setup for for Dent was a little bit, but I think I'm nitpicking and I don't want to do that. I don't want to nitpick plot holes or anything along those lines. No greater villain, you were right. The Joker, there is no greater comic book villain, and but Ledger wasn't it. Now, I have said, and I've, there is recorded in podcast history, I've said to other people, Ledger's performance as the Joker is beyond belief. 
it is a spectacular performance, but it is not beyond being judged. And I'm not going to judge it against the caricature that, that Jack Nicholson played, but because the, the, the movies, Burton's Batman, they're Nolan's vastly Batman, different. They're, they're ridiculous pieces. You might as well yeah. compare it to Cesar Romero. Yeah, and or you know, you might as well. It's so ridiculous a proposition that you might as well compare The Dark Knight to Shawshank Redemption. You can judge Heath Ledger's performance. But no comment on Citizen Kane, apparently. <laughs> um, you can judge. And the problem to me was is that we never. We, we've got that was interesting why so serious with the scars my father you know my, I said to my wife and all that sort of thing and, and he tried to touch on that but what what Joker needs is an emotional core he doesn't need to be we can accept that he's just completely flipped off the off the deep end we can accept all of that and we and we got a glimpse of it at the end and you have to believe you almost have to believe that the Joker was going to make if, if, yeah. if not for Ledger's untimely death the Joker was going to make an appearance in the third movie yeah. when he says, I get the feeling that we are destined to do this forever. Yes. At that point, I believe Heath... That line, yeah. I believe Heath Ledger became the Joker. Yes. Prior to that, he was just a fucking psychotic madman. Yeah. But, having said that, the you, you mentioned like the not having a backstory yep. to him. Hannibal Lecter, one of the greatest villains of all time. Yes. Hannibal Lecter stopped being a scary villain when we found out why. Absolutely. When he was just a fucking monster yep. that you didn't know, yep. it wasn't important. Yep. What was important was what he was. How he got there only diminished him. Well, see, look, I would agree with that in relation to Hannibal Lecter because I think Thomas Harris fucking jumped the shark as soon as he wrote... What was the next one? Hannibal. Hannibal I yeah. think Hannibal jumped the shark and Hannibal yeah. Rising, fucking forget about it. Yeah. But I don't... We, we needed to... Where... Look, I, I think I'm. A, look, I think we're just going to not. We're, get, we're just going to keep, keep going, going over the same ground over and over again. I believe you knew the doors dent scenario was going to happen. I think that could ne- when he's interviewing him, he says, "Well, it depends on where they're going to be in pieces," and that was the that was the downside to the Joker. Is unfortunately, I felt he was entirely predictable, and that you know that was look. The movie was a solid actioner. That's yeah. the only other thing I'd like to say. The flipping of the semi trailer. I mean. It wasn't done with models. It wasn't CG. Yeah. They flipped a fucking yeah. semi-trailer. No, Nolan, yeah. If yeah. he can do something real, he will do yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, my uh, my ejaculation over the Shawshank. Well, and that's fine. I mean, you know, the, the only thing that's similar to that is they've both got Morgan Freeman in it. So does Bruce Almighty. I'm not talking about that. <sighs> well, thank Christ. <laughs> boom, boom. The Dark Knight Rises. This film was destined to fail. And I'll say that because the, the hype of the overrated... In my opinion, the overrated Dark Knight, it could not possibly live up to the hype. It just couldn't. The same as Prometheus couldn't live up to the hype of, of what it was. Because it was always going to be... Your, your expectations were going to be so high. Um, and again, as with the Dark Knight, I would simply pose the following question. How much did the effect, the tragedy in Colorado affect this film? We simply cannot know, and I can't help but think it must have similarly, the Avengers effect. The Avengers is a spectacular romp with charisma, style, and above all, fun. And The Dark Knight Rises, in fact, the entire series suffers from an incredible darkness. And I believe it had to have that darkness because it was inherited from The Dark Knight. The first part of this film is to tie up the somewhat disappointing finale of The Dark Knight. And here, I think, is where the the two biggest criticisms of this film may be laid. It's got to waste an entire hour figuring out all that shit and Bane's voice. 
the hardest thing, and I, I think I've been mentioned that the hardest thing about coming up with stuff to like about this film is there's been so much negative backlash about it that all you do is you feel like you're just you're just bouncing around, and you're spending your time trying to fe- defend it, which is completely unfair. We have you talk spectacular set pieces. List them off. We have the midair rescue. We have this concept of bringing this mysterious character to us, which a little bit of clunky acting, particularly by Peter Baelish. And if we can just ignore the voice for a moment, we're set up to believe it, we're dealing now with fanatics. And this was this point that we we we, we got from the the first film, the, the sorry the middle film. The middle film had a psychopath, a complete a complete anarchist psychopath. Rachel Ghoul was a sociopath with a plan. This guy just wants this Bane truly wants to see the world burn, but he's going to go about it the right way. He's going to take over the the the, the Joker's role. And here we have we're introduction of a character with a plan, a solid plot, and he's going to turn the citizens, truly turn the citizens of Gotham against one another. And that was the emotional rip of this film. Batman, a lot has been said about whether the eight years hiding away is mentioned, and a lot has been said about the um, Drake character, uh, sorry, Blake character, being able to deduce Batman from understanding that he's an orphan. And look, that follows the emotional core. The, 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 that sort of tags in a little bit with the Tim Drake story of being able to figure out Batman. But really, Bruce Wayne comes back to Gotham City, Batman arrives with him. Only one person has the sort of money of, of, and, and, and access to the sort of equipment. I mean, it really shouldn't be that hard to figure out Bruce Wayne is Batman, but they've managed to not do it. The same as Superman takes off his glasses and suddenly he's not Clark Kent. There needs to be a certain suspension of disbelief, and I think this film demands it because we were so disappointed by The Dark Knight. I feel a little bit like uh, Bill Maher discussing the Republicans and, and Democrats because every he has to just go back and say George Bush fucked everything, and he did. We'll go back to we, we, the, the story itself, unfortunately, suffers from a MacGuffin. The Dark Knight didn't have a MacGuffin, and I will give it that. They, for whatever reason, this thermonuclear device the MacGuffin, it wasn't there. And I don't know if you've ever seen how it should have ended, but Morgan Free, the, the TV shows... Mm, the don't know where you. Yeah, um, he floods the tunnel. They're all there and he goes, oops, 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 and puts his handprint on, floods the tunnel, wipes everybody out. That's it. That's how it should have ended. And unfortunately, like The Dark Knight, there are, there are big plot holes in it. But we've got to move past it, and I think the best way to move past it is to talk about the casting. I think Anne Hathaway is absolutely pitch perfect in the best rendition to date of Catwoman she's Selena Kyle uh, no Halle Berry no but <laughs> 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 what is this motherfucker's name? Um, because she's she's truly Selena Kyle there's no Catwoman there's no Eartha Kit rolling around perfect all that sort of bullshit um, and Kane somewhat spoiler filled performance with the whole I, I order a friend at you know Fred at Brunker and yeah. I sit and watch blah blah blah, blah. But he brings, he's the emotional heart because he's finally watching his son grow up and destroy himself. Batman, and Batman constantly destroys himself. He puts his life on the line every single night for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring the people of Gotham a symbol of hope, a symbol of audacity, and to bring to the criminal element a symbol of of fear and terror. When the, the, the fear and the terror... Is, is, is overtaken by Bane, Batman has to come back and prove that he is more terrible than Bane. 
that he has to cause everybody to go, no, this is truly the rising. This movie has such an emotional core to it, such an emotional journey that you can't help but go with Batman as he, or Bruce Wayne as he attempts to climb the, the, the pit. As Bruce Wayne pulls himself out of the mire, as he goes to Selina Kyle, as he says, I don't give a fuck that you betrayed me. We have to... I am prepared to die to save, uh, save Gotham. And then we've got this the lovely little denouement where he turns around and basically says to, to Commissioner Gordon, Batman is a symbol. And while Batman is a symbol lives, Gotham will always have hope. And then, this, so this is, this is the film. This film now is about hope. Despair, hope, we can come back. A lot of stuff's been to- spoken about the Occupy movement. I'll touch on a little bit. I think probably the only sour note that this film hits on a, on, on a level for me was the very quick shot that we saw of the Special Forces guys hanging from the bridge. I think Nolan went too far with that shot. It was too close to the, the contractors that were the, in, in, hanging off the bridge in Fallujah, too close to Black Hawk Down. Even, I mean, that was in the 90s, early 90s, but it was still terribly, terribly, terribly. No one wants to see army boys hurt that way. But other than that, I, I don't quite understand where the hate for this movie comes from because this movie is a roller coaster. When Batman first appears, again, I'll, I understand that criticism that he should, it's a Batman movie and we don't see him for 50 minutes. But when he appears, the entire movie shifts and it becomes a building to the point, the crescendo. And that crescendo is Batman is a symbol. That crescendo is Robin standing on the elevator, rising. Constant that motif all the way through it, rising. I think it's the superior film. It's the superior film because it takes you on, a, on an emotional journey, a spiritual journey. You walk out of that film and you feel in equal parts energized and drained. That's mm. yeah, equal. And I think that's where the, the, the yeah. best, you know, that, that film's days. I think the Dark Knight Rises will be remembered fondly and will grow in the home cinema market. I actually agree with a lot of what you've said because I'm right. Michael Caine, yes, has given the performance of his late career. Yep. In this film, on a second viewing, my initial. Hathaway issues have gone away and, and her performance has, has grown on me. I love the fact that it's Selena Kyle. Catwoman is never mentioned. Yes. It's all the way. It's Selena Kyle. I think that's very smart. But I think, and I touch on that in, in, in some of my notes here, I think that what the things that you said it did, it failed to do for me. Okay. And, where, and it should have done them. And I don't think it did. But... Back to our to my pre-prepared notes. <laughs> this is not a bad film by itself. Considered in isolation, this is a perfectly acceptable superhero film. But it isn't a film that can be considered in isolation. It's a Batman film. It's a Christopher Nolan film. It's a follow-up to one of the most beloved films of all times. Much as you can't consider Heath Ledger's performance objectively due to the tragedy of his passing... This film can't help but be compared to The Dark Knight. However, I am going to attempt, whether I succeed or not, is up to you. I'm attempting to put my well-documented love for that film to one side and judge or damn this film purely on its own merits. So where does this film fail? (laughs) Straight out of the... Boom! Right into the liver shot. Yeah, please, the, tell the me, main where does problem, this film go? 
is is the main problem is simply this: a Batman film needs one main theme. Batman. In a film that's almost three hours long, we see precious little of Batman. There's some at the beginning and some at the end. A broken Bruce Wayne could have been engaging, but, and I'll talk about this more later, there isn't enough to make us care or connect with his plight. The majority of the second act, and therefore the majority of the film's 27-hour running time, is the Gotham Resistance. And while that is a clearly important part of what has happened to the city and this important story that you need to tell and it's about what Bane has done, I think there's just far too much of it. And this has the double whammy of making the feel, film drag and feel slow through the second act until the, until, the, until the beginning of the third. And it also makes the absence of Batman felt that much more keenly. But let's, not, let's talk about Bane. For fans of the comics, Bane needs no introduction. From the very moment we found out that Tom Hardy was going to be putting on that mask, we knew what was going to happen. We knew that Bane would break Batman's back. I doubt that there is a more iconic image in all of Batman lore. But this is fumbled. We have no build-up to Batman's confrontation of Bane. And this is some of the key things that this movie should have done. It lacked any, any growth. This is the first time, like we, we've seen Batman, we've seen Bane, of course, in the hijack opening, the stuff with Gordon when he's in the sewers, but there is a lack of investment in Batman facing Bane. There hasn't been any history between them. I don't get for a second that feeling that you have of, you know, I've got to be the bigger, badder symbol. There's no history between Batman and Bane, so we're not, there's no prior confrontation. Th Nothing to give this pivotal, crucial scene the pathos and the heartbreak that it needs. We simply don't have enough to feel Batman's devastation at failing Gotham. And I made a note, actually, while, while you were talking. There's, there's one little throwaway scene with, with JGL talking to a kid and he draws the Batman symbol of like, oh, is Batman going to come back? We don't feel the loss of Batman. At no point in our in the time we spend in Gotham, do we feel that Gotham is worth or worse off, or that people are desperate for Batman to come back? And I think we needed some of that, so that when he did come back, there was there was some sort of connection there. And I, I don't think it I don't think it did. Bane also has another issue. You mentioned it, and we've talked about it quite a bit before. Is the voice. Because of the overdubbing, there's a disconnect there between the excellent physical performance, and I don't want to take anything away from what Tom Hardy does because he's an excellent actor, but the voice just jars because it sounds out of place and it prevents us from being truly connected to Bane's character. When Bruce Wayne's in the pit, it is one of the few times that, that we sort of do see what he's going through because he's desperate to get out. But again there feels like there's just too much of this and it drags and for, for for Nolan's films who has tried to keep it grounded in reality as much as you know a billionaire becoming a vigilante bat is grounded in reality Razor Ghoul was it a ghost was it just a hallucination because it he seemed to know things that Bruce shouldn't have known yeah, it was a hallucination so that to me was not you know entirely entirely kosher there either there's a number of things that I mentioned in my review that I felt were issues with the script 
the nuclear bomb for one as a right. crazy, a and crazy I would, device. I absolutely, hand on my heart, I would give you that. That was yeah. just fucking dumb. Yeah, the way that that Blake, as a child, reasons out Batman's true identity, and the one thing, and I completely agree. I, I, I confess that I've stolen this from someone else. If the ending, if the final scene had cut ten seconds sooner, before we saw Bruce Wayne, if we saw, if we saw. Alfred, yep. take a sip, look up, black. Okay, so you don't believe we needed to see... I don't we believe did. we did. Okay. I think if he looked up and maybe a hint of because, a fucking smile... But the final scene is, is Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt rising. Sorry the, the fi- sorry, the final Bruce scene. Right, okay. I, I would have... I would have, I would have yep. put that... I would have put the Alfred scene at the very end. Yep. So we see all the, the, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff. Then, yep. you know, we have a coda of sip in the coffee, look up, and then just a hint of something. Yep. There are things I like about this movie. Yep. JGL is fantastic, although I think a little underused. Freeman, Kane, Goldman, Goldman, Oldman. Oldman. We're, we're really Sorry, stumbling I'm, over his name, aren't we? We are. Um, Sorry, Gary. Are exceptional. Yep. He's not going to come for episode 13 now. Is he? <laughs> no. Oh, shit. With Kane in particular being in, in career best form. But this film... Fails to deliver the promise. I said, and I'm trying to look at it without Dark Knight mm-hmm. goggles on, but it fails to deliver a conclusion to a fantastic franchise. A couple of other notes that I made in references to things that you'd said in your Batman, in your Dark Knight yep. review. You talked about the political statement yep. that he was making in in uh, in the Dark Knight. I felt that the Occupy. Thing. And you said you d- you don't like it being preachy. You didn't like the black guy being preachy. Mm-hmm. I don't like being preached at, and I think it was insulting for him to use that yeah. particular character to preach to me. Yeah, but you're fine being preached at by Selena Kyle about occupying or how the rich are evil. I don't think she was hot? saying that. <laughs> she did say that. She said, "How long do you think you can have all of this?" Yeah, that it. Yeah, how did you burn so so bright and and, yeah. and for so long? She's and all that you know, business. she's you know. You should, you know, not be rich. Ah, uh, see, I don't... You do, people don't deserve to be rich. But that's not what the Occupy movement was about, and that's not the point that she was trying to make. The point that she was trying to make is that you have to... You cannot possibly stick your head up your ass any longer and realise what's going on in this city. And that's the that's the emotional core of Batman. He hasn't got his head up his ass. He knows what, what he's doing for this city. He, he is, but he's he's floundering because he can't deliver what, what it is that he wants to... Wants to deliver. Come on, hit me with it. Uh, No. Anyway, Um, I agree with one thing that you said, um, and I think it's something that I brought up in the. Again, I I took it from Ebert. Is this film had no fun? Yes. In it, I agree that these. This is a dark trilogy. I don't think that it's too dark, but I think there was nothing in this film that gave in this particularly the third one that gave it any levity, at all. There were moments of the Joker which just because they were so strange, gave some light. You had so, to laugh because if you didn't, you would run screaming yeah. from the theatre crying. Yeah. But again, I can't think of much in Batman Begins that had any real, I don't want to call it comic relief, but there wasn't a lot of levity in that film no. as well. But this film, at you know, close enough as be fucked to three hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Long film, 162 minutes. Yeah, and... You're saying that The Dark Knight needs to be an hour shorter? 
I look, I but see, this is my the problem. It had to tidy up the shambles. That was the Dark Knight. That's my that's my basis. That first hour was just but fucking. Then you're building, you're building a castle on sand. <laughs> no, I'm building a castle on a pile of shit. No, in comparison, like you you you're anyway. You know what? I mean? This is why we love the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is why we argue. The microphones are going to go off. We're going to double dutch right It's all going to be good. The thing is, you, you're talking about a history between Bane and Batman. If the, the, I, I will give you this. They tried to cram, like they did with the killing joke and in The Dark Knight. They tried to cram two minutes. Yeah. They tried to cram Nightfall, uh, the, the Battle for the Cowl, and No Man's Land in a three-hour movie. Yeah. Epic, epic, epic comic stories. Yeah, and... And, I mean, literally, he probably didn't... I mean, to answer a few criticisms, the breaking of the bat scene was what I've I've waited for, and I was not disappointed at it. But he didn't break his back. He he just destroyed him. The fact is that you talk about a background between Bane and and this was a... And Batman. This... Batman walked into that fight with his cock swinging because he... No one will take care of my... I'll be right fucking my city she'll be right I'll take care of it who the fuck do you think you are League of, Sha- League of Assassins League of Shadows I've beaten you before I'll beat you again got his freckle handed to him and then was stuck in the bottom of a pit hanging like in, in some sort of you know medieval torture device to get his back straight having to watch the city that his parents built that he's, he's devoted his entire life being ripped apart how can you not say this film doesn't have an emotional core that just tears at your very... I'm not saying it doesn't have an emotional core, I'm just saying it doesn't deliver uh, as it should. You mentioned that The Dark Knight is like The Empire Strikes Back. Always some cracker got to bring up the Holy Trinity. <laughs> I made one comment, one Fuck fucking yeah. half a sentence. Anyway. I said The Empire Strikes Back, downer ending. <sighs> That's all I said. Yeah, like I said, always some cracker... You know what? This fucking, you know what? Risers could have used a few fucking Ewoks. Uh, I tell you, <laughs> the, look, I, the, uh, the, 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 the reading at the grave of a tale of two cities, the, uh, this film was had it all. This film took you on an emotional journey. This film took you on Batman's emotional journey. And it was represented in all forms. It was represented in the betrayal again, with um, because he had to face when he faced. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Coltelard, the Talia Agul. He had to face his parents' tragedy all over again because he saw that reflected in 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 her eyes, the the her father's death, the, the what she was prepared to do to avenge her father's death was mirrored with what Bruce is prepared to do to avenge his parents' death. Bane was just Bane was just exactly what he was a muscle bound sledgehammer to to smash and pummel his way through the, the, this film to distract us from the fact that if the Bane wasn't in this film this would be leaving Las Vegas fucking suicidal this film was so down but that made his rise so unbelievably important yeah but that, that's the thing for me I didn't it, it didn't get me enough to care about the rise. Oh, yeah. oh. My cock got instantly hard when we heard the Batman music when when he first when he mm. reappears and that cop when he cop says you settle in son and watch this wild ride or something. It's, it's from the Dark Knight Returns. It's a direct quote. He says you ain't seen nothing yet or something and the fucking Batman comes 
roaring past him and suddenly we're like, yeah, Batman's back, Batman's back and he's going to save us. No, 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 not that Batman. That Batman it can't even save himself. The reborn Batman, the risen Batman, the one who pulled himself out of the pit, the one that, that, that you know, that. and I tell you what, Ralph Garman, who I love beyond hmm. all measure, fucked up big time. Who the fuck was it talking about the fact that Bane, the Batman still didn't beat Bane? He did. He had Bane crippled in front of him and he says to him when you're broken you have my permission to die and then he was stabbed he was betrayed and that's the only reason Bane survived and then to get shot you know maybe you want to rethink your your opinion on guns pretty you know anyway I just I just think this that you know and and just one of the points we're talking about and again to answer another person's criticism probably not yours but the super duper suddenly my legs okay brace that Batman wore suddenly he puts a brace on he no longer limps and can kick through walls for the love of fuck you're an intelligent person you have to know that that limp was purely psychological I don't think that was my I'm not, no 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 yeah. I'm not saying yours yeah. but I mean I'm, well, I you're, guess you're I'm fucking pointing I'm, <laughs> you dopey cunt you fucking <laughs> Mr. Speaker I that limp was psychological everything that was happening to him was he he, he couldn't get over the, the and Fucking Maggie Gyllenhaal, how easy would that stupid fucking trollop be easy to get over? But I digress. You're wrong. Sit there in all your wrongness you know, and be wrong. I I think I've actually you you inadvertently informed me on why you have an issue with women with risers. Well, not with risers with the Dark Knight. Don't Katie Holmes. Well, I tell you, that's that's this whole fucking thing is predicated <laughs> on. Fuck you. Turn these mics off. Turn these mics off. <laughs> Fuck you. You don't fucking speak to me that way. Uh, I love you, Katie. <laughs> you got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. You just remember what you all right, well, that, that folks, is the, is the bat-off. Yeah. We're going to set up a special email address, bat-off at a couple of freaks.com, which we assume a lot of you do anyway. Yeah, send us your favourite pictures of batting <laughs> off. We're not going to talk too much longer because this has obviously gone fairly long. This is going to be a sizable episode. Yeah. Very, very quick thing, Iron Man 3 trailer. Oh, oh fuck let's, me. Let's devote an entire episode oh, to the that Iron Man 3 trailer. You have no idea how fucking yeah. hard that is. Go and see it, that, people. Yeah, that trailer is just awesome. And as you pointed out, it's a trailer that deserves a teaser trailer. <laughs> um, all right, well, oh, for episode 12, episode 12, the bat off. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for indulging our... Uh, indulging us, let's be honest. Indulging uh, our batting. And yeah, please let us know what you... Uh, let us know what you think. For any non-bat-off related email, of course, pricks at a couple of pricks.com. And of course, if you, you've got something that you want to say negatively about the, sh- uh, the show, then we're talking about go fuck yourself at a couple of pricks.com. On the Twitter, ACOP Nate. ACOP Woody. And here we are. For another week. Um, for a couple of pricks. <laughs> well, we done well, so that's it now. We've oh. debated we're not doing it together anymore. Oh, now, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. All right. I'm Nate. I'm Woody. And we're a, a couple, couple of pricks. pricks. Fuck you. <laughs>